What's going on, everyone? I am Nick Estes, and this is episode five of Secrets of a Real Estate Entrepreneur. Uh, it's been a crazy uh, few weeks here, hustling nonstop. Uh, sold two homes last week and finished up another one and put it on the market. And uh, now I'm prepping to finish up two more houses in the next uh, week and a half. So things are always crazy busy when you have this many projects going on. Um, I'm also prepping to start a, a third division of my, of my company specializing in tiny homes. I plan to start building my first one in two days. So I'll be, I'll be filming that entire process so I can teach people how to build their own as well. So a lot going on over here. Um, a lot of irons in the fire uh, would be an understatement. So um, I also have a, I'm also huge on goal setting. Um, and I'd like to get that into more detail, maybe another episode, but uh, this time of year, I always try to force myself into, you know, look into the future and uh, into the following year and where I am right now. So right now I'm looking into 2018, you know, making some notes and some benchmarks of of how this year went and uh, where I can improve and where I want to be and going ahead. So, um, so that's kind of where I'm at right now. Um, as always, uh, John is here be answering your questions. Um, so we're going to get right into it. So the first question today came through a Facebook ad that we're running, but it came through an email. So that question is, how do you decide where to purchase a piece of land and then you know sell that spec house? Sure. Um, and I talk about this a lot, but uh, with anything, you're making money on the buy. So the first rule is really make sure that you know the market and you're purchasing the lot less than market value. So really do your homework on that. Um, from there, I always check comps to see what other homes in the area are selling for. You know, where homes are selling rapidly and for what price. Um, then you can deduct your land cost um, and you can figure out your profit margins. You now, if, you know, if the profit margins, you know, within your, your target uh, percentile, I, I would say it's a good fit. You just want to make sure that other homes are selling in the area um, so you can predict your sale price. Um, I don't ever want to go in to a market um, or a town or an area per se where no other new homes have been built. You know, I don't want to be that guinea pig and I wouldn't recommend that to anyone else either. So um, if it's working for someone else, it'll probably work for you. Now, if you think about a spec house is similar to any other business that, you know, manufactures products, you're just kind of doing it on a larger scale. So you're building these homes for less than what they're worth and what the market um, dictates. And then you're just taking the percentage of the profits for whatever's left over. So I'm just kind of thinking of it on the simple terms of that. So the markup, you know, is your, your land cost plus your cost to build. And then, you know, whatever the market value is and whatever's left over is your profit margin. Going further, a little bit more of a niche question as far as buying land. You know, we see hot areas. Do you have any recommendations on how you can find good deals in those hot areas? Um, sure. I mean, there's, there's a ton of tactics to find good deals on land when building a spec house. Now, if you've studied at all, anyone that's, you know, flipping houses, you know, any one of those ideas will work on finding land as well. So, you know, you can do direct mail uh, to, to vacant land, bandit signs, you know, advertising, the paper, social media, mailing list, you know, it goes on and on. But what I found some of the best ways is just through the relationships I've made through um, in the community or through agents. Um, and once they know you're a serious player, you know, they'll feed you these deals before they go on the market with hopes you'll use them to relist a property when it's built. You know, um, you know, realtors, they're motivated by money. And if they know that you're serious and, and you're going to 
put out a product, they're 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 gonna want to get both sides of that. So they're gonna try and find someone uh, they want to work with on the on their other end. So try definitely try to make those relationships as well. Um, and also, just like flipping homes, you can use like negatives on a piece of land um, where it's inexpensive. So, you know, I've 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 purchased many lots. Uh, they're like near like railroad tracks or near some wetlands, or like need fill or something like that. Now, th- these these are not ideal conditions to purchase a land. Um, but if you do your homework and you know your numbers, um, you can potentially increase your profits. Um, just like you know, when you're buying, say, a flip house that has like a lot of work, there might not be a, a, someone that that wants to do that project. But usually, the profit margin is larger, opposed to a flip house that just needs you know cosmetic stuff. It'll be more work, uh, but the profit margin is usually bigger. Like for example, I purchased a lot uh, near some railroad tracks. Uh, even though they were inactive, it scared a lot of builders away. So, and I purchased that lot for thirty-five thousand. When a lot, when all the other lots in the area were selling around eighty-five thousand, so I saved about fifty thousand. But by doing my homework, I knew that that I wouldn't have to decrease the the price of the house by fifty thousand. So I still had a, a really good upsell, um, and I knew if I built a really good product and you know I and it looked better than all the other homes in the area, I would have no problem selling it. Now another thing I did on that was interesting is I spent an extra three thousand dollars on staging. So what I do is I, I was able to keep the buyer's eyes inside the house instead of focusing on looking out the window into the railroad tracks. Um, you know, the same thing goes for, for a lot that needs like a lot of fill. Get quotes on how much the extra dirt would cost and then then you can see, you know, if that's less than the lot's worth, you have a win-win. Now, this is kind of a reason why I love this business. So if you're creative and you just simply do your homework, you know, you can make a great living. You know, it just, it's... It's, it's very simple. You just got to, you know, do your research. Awesome. So it sounds like, you know, making those relationships with agents, being creative and, you know, just doing your homework can really help you, you know, find good deals in areas that are already hot. Absolutely. Uh, the next question here, we've been getting this question a ton. Uh, and it's just, how do you find reputable subcontractors? Sure. And that can be a tough one and it can be difficult for people kind of starting out. I mean, it can be kind of a scary process trying to hire someone to do work on your spec house or, or uh, spec house or you know whatever it may be but I found one of the best ways um, to find subcontractors is just word of mouth in this business if, if someone's not is not good people definitely have no problem voicing their opinion about it so I personally found just driving around and taking down names and numbers of, of, of contractors that are working on other homes now if, now, if you see that same company on multiple job sites, most likely they're doing a good job for a fair price. And, and, and I would interview them to potentially use them. So just give them a call, tell them what you're working on, and kind of sell yourself and get some quotes. Um, another way to do it is just go down to your local build, building code office and see who's pulled permits. Um, and, and same thing. If you see the name on multiple times, most likely they're doing a good job and it's a fair price if other contractors are hiring them. Um, give them a call and uh, show them your project. It's kind of a follow-up question to the subcontractor thing. How do you know that these guys are going to take you serious? If this is your first build or your first time approaching them, you know, are you going to just get you know pushed down because there's they're working with so many other people, they're working with volume? How can you 
you know, kind of stand out, I guess, in their eyes to mm. you know know that you're also a reputable. Yeah, and that can be tough for sure. Um, you know, when you're starting out, I mean, I dealt with those problems as well. Um, you know, I was 20 years old when I started out, so I had to, you know, convince a lot of people that I was a serious game player. Um, you know, I think honesty through and through. You can't go wrong being honest and saying who you are. A lot of people starting out want to talk a big game, you know, promise a lot. Um, but, you know, you can see right through that. And I can, at least I can anyway. So tell people who you are, what your goals are, you know. Um, and you're just trying to make a relationship with someone for a long-term business. Show them that you can hustle. And then if the job works out well, you use them for future jobs. Uh, just be straight up with them. Um, don't lie, but just be confident about your abilities and where you want to go. So people will respect that for sure. Uh, but make it very clear that if this job does not go well and it doesn't fit within your timetable, that you won't be using them in the future. Um, so almost use this like as a, like a job interview, this first kind of first project. Um, be fair, but be assertive. Like I said, when I was when I was starting out, I was 20 years old, you know, um, peach fuzz, you know, I was hiring guys uh, my father's age. You know, a lot of people didn't want to take me seriously until they saw my hustle and my mentality. So just go out there and prove yourself and be honest. Would you say that you have to, you know, really manage them? Is that an important part of them taking you serious? Or should you kind of step back and kind of let them, you know, do their thing? Um, well, it depends on how much knowledge you have. When I started out, I had a lot of construction knowledge because I was in the business. So I could see what was going on. If I saw something was wrong, you know, definitely speak up. But if you don't really know, um, you know, don't try to say more than you than you know. You know what I mean? You're just going to piss them off. Most likely, they've been doing it a while. They're, they know what they're doing for sure. Um, and that's why you're hiring them. So if you don't trust their, their capabilities, you shouldn't be hiring them in the first place. That's a good point. Uh, switching gears a little bit, this is another question. This is about wholesaling. Uh, this person was interested in if you would suggest starting off with wholesaling as a, as a first jump. Sure. Um... Now, for my listeners that don't know what wholesaling is, it's when you sign a contract on a house or a piece of land, um, for that for that matter, um, that when you assign it to another investor or builder before you close on it. So you're essentially just marking it up, whatever you can. Maybe it's anywhere from five to twenty thousand to someone else for being the middleman in the deal. Now, um, now you now you see pretty much everyone online right now trying to sell people on courses. On how to do this um, it's become very popular because they can sell it without them using any of your own money or credit so now personally I think that wholesaling is a short-term business and it's it's more or less you're just you're grabbing a hold of any low-hanging fruit now I've done a, do, a few deals but the real money is when you follow through with it till the end um, you can really get that cream on the top but but I will say wholesaling does have its place, and I think it's um, a good good option when you're starting out for a couple reasons. Now, most important, importantly, it'll help you learn the market, and you can see what things are really buying and selling for, and it can give you that experience to negotiate deals on on both ends. And now that's and that's a very that's a very critical part of that business, of this business. So I think it's a good way to learn. And another another thing you can do is you can use this of wholesaling to get uh, get some capital going so you can follow through with these deals. So I think that's a couple ways that wholesaling is effective. So starting out, I don't think it's a, a bad way of doing it. But once you have the knowledge of both those things, I would definitely try to follow through the project. 
you know, wholesaling for a full-time income. Um, it's just a constant grind. You're constantly trying to find deals and, and investors that buy them. So you don't have, you have zero freedom. Um, you know, I try to leverage my business so I have the ultimate time and money freedom so I can spend time doing the things that I love. So for me, wholesaling is, you know, a short-term um, option, um, but I think it does definitely has its place. Switching gears here a little bit, uh, maybe going more towards the spec end side, we had a question this week of, at what point do you put the house up for sale? Sure. Um, and this really depends on what type of deal I'm doing. Um, so let me explain this a little bit. Um, when I'm flipping a house, I always wait until the home is 100% complete. Um, you know, not make sure not a single thing is undone, but it looks completely amazing before you list this house. Now, it's important when someone walks in that they're kind of blown away. You know, the, the problem with trying to sell a flip before it's complete is even 95% completed, the buyers don't have the vision of what it's going to look like. You know, you're essentially walking into a job site that's messy, um, that doesn't look good, you know, unorganized, you know, not maybe need some paint touch up. So it's like a buyer's walking into a house that's, that's essentially, you know, could be a foreclosure. They're going to be looking for almost a discount opposed to a, a premium price that you should be getting. So I always want to make sure that that house is 100% perfect. You know, check it 10 times. Make sure there's not one single thing missing before you before you list that. Um, if you want to get the maximum price for sure. Now with a spec house, I do this completely different um, than a flip house because the buyer's mentality is different when they're buying a new house. Um, they understand that 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 home is being built. It's under construction. You know, people understand that a new house, they're walking into a job site. Um, if they want a new house, it has to be built. So I do it a couple different ways. Now, sometimes I'll try to sell it on paper. Um, now I can do this just by putting the blueprints and the finishes, you know, on the MLS and people are essentially going to uh, buy something that they can not actually even walk into yet. And that sometimes is effective, uh, but most people have a hard time envisioning a property that's not done. But it's not to say you can't do that. I've done it multiple times of just actually just selling a house on paper. Another way I like to do this is actually have that get the house framed up. Take a picture of the house and put that online. Now at this point, someone can actually walk in, uh, walk into the house, you know, see it, feel it, you know, touch it, and get a full light of, you know, see the see the rooms see what they're getting. And then from there, you can just explain what the finishes are gonna be or actually have them pick out their own finishes. Um, now by doing this, I am, I'm saving a ton of time. I can close on the house as, as soon as the home is completed. So I'm saving anywhere from you know two to four months of my holding cost for the buyer to go through underwriting. Um, I don't have to list it, you know, find a buyer, and then have them get qualified for a loan and then actually close on it. Um, they can be doing that entire process around I am building the house. So as soon as it's completed, um, they're closing on the house. So time is money in this, in this and I can recoup my, my money as fast as possible. Then, you know, reinvest it. And I'm able to scale my company a lot faster that way. What would you kind of recommend? Is there a best practice? I mean, would you tell people to try to pre-sell stuff or would you tell people that, you know, I guess all situations are different. But All situations are different. I, I mean, I would... Depending on your area, you know, how hot it is and, you know, I mean, you know, there's some areas of the country right now, you could definitely, if you had a piece of land or something, you probably sell something on paper. Just put up a picture of what it's going to look like, the blueprint, the finishes. 
you could probably sell it. You know, other times you might want to get it framed up. Um, but it really depends on the market and how hot it is for sure. If it's a cold market, you, know, you might have to finish the house. And then, then then take pictures of it just like a spec house when it's completed. You're going to be losing a little bit of time, but that might be what you have to do. Also something you said is, you know, if you probably decide to sell it when it's framed up or even when you're pre-selling it, there's definitely a lot more dialogue between you and the client. Yeah, so you're going to be, it's a little bit more hand-holding for sure. Mm-hmm. Um, but with that, I mean, if you're willing to put that work in and, and, and hold the buyer's hand, you're able to, you know, save, you know, a lot of money and interest and time to reinvest your money. So it all depends on where you are in your business. Um, if you don't mind doing the extra work, it could definitely help you out and, and make you, if you're doing one at a time starting out, you'll be able to do, you know, maybe a few more a year. Last question we have today, uh, again, is about spec houses. And this question is just how long does it take to build a spec house and kind of what processes have you developed during this time that have helped you shorten that time of build? Sure. Um, for me, the average spec house takes about three months to complete. Um, the time we break ground um, to when it's 100%. Now, this is going to change depending on the size of the home. So, you know, when you're starting out, I wouldn't suspect you're going to be doing, you know, too big a home, something like that. So, I would say three months is probably a good time. But I know guys that are doing really high-end luxury houses, you know, they, they take a year to build. Um, but most likely you're not going to be in that starting out. Um, but really to maximize your time, it's really just efficiency. It's it's all about, I mean, you can't cut a subcontractor out. Um, you might be able to find one that can do it a little bit quicker than another. But really the time saving is just, you know, being able to uh, schedule in your guys in and out so you don't have any downtime when the house is sitting vacant. Um, so there's a lot of different ways of doing that. Um, but really you just want to be as efficient as possible and have a good management system in place to get guys in and out. Um, now also, now talking about that, most likely starting out, you might actually be hiring a general contractor to build these for you. You might not be doing them yourself. So on that portion, I would just, you know, go and ask, you know, some other houses, you know, they're building and, uh, you know, stop by regularly and see how often those houses are going vacant between subcontractors just to make sure you're hiring someone that's that's efficient and they're going to get the job done quickly for you. Um, and another thing, another, another great real estate development, you know, idea and thing that I've used is you do modular homes. Um, so you don't even have to hire contractors, but maybe we can get that, get that into that maybe next episode. Yeah, absolutely. I think that's a great uh, point as far as looking at other houses they're doing to see, you know, how frequent those houses are. Absolutely. Definitely. When it, whenever you're hiring someone, do your research and definitely see, see what's going on, you know, get firsthand experience, get out there. Cool. Well, those are the five questions for today. What, what kind of going on the rest of the week? I know you got a few projects going on. You're starting the tiny house, but anything else on the docket? Um, that's it. I'm really excited to get that going. So that's going to be exciting. And then just finishing up these uh, few houses I have um, getting ready to close so I can uh, get that money back in the bank and keep on reinvesting it. Cool. Thanks, everyone. That's my portion. And uh, I'll see you next week. Yeah, thanks again, everyone. Um, I appreciate all of you and your support. And, um, and hopefully this information is helping you achieve your goals. So. If you have any questions, um, hit me up on any of my social media channels at Nick Estes. See you next week.